Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. I'm so expectant for this year. God's been doing amazing things in our church, and evidently He doesn't require our permission. Uh, we have asked Him to do that anyway. And so He is just moving in different ministries and We hear stories and testimonies that are coming in during uh, the week. And I'm just so encouraged because I really believe that this year is going to be one of the most significant years we've ever had as a as a church. So, you know, it's vision month. um, It's it's week one. And I I just have so much faith for the future. It's going to be a great year. Um, you know, every year, one of the things that we do here at Bright Church is we theme the year. Uh, we theme the year. It basically really comes down to this uh, prayer time that I, I have with God and just ask God, hey, where, where are we leaning into as a church for this year? You know, there are so many things that we could focus on a church and many, many good things. But I feel like, you know, God has a word for our church um, somewhere that we should lean into. And of course, um, you know, I just pray and I felt like this year, uh, the thing that God spoke to me is that we theme the year Word and Spirit. And the reason why uh, it's both of those things is because the reality is we need both. You know, like we want to see the Spirit of God move in our church. We want to be anchored in the Word at the same time so that we don't, you know, end up going in a direction that gets too wild or too too crazy, too far. It can happen, guys. It can happen to churches. I don't know if you've heard this you know, said before, but people say, if you've got all word and no spirit, you dry up. If you've got all spirit and no word, uh, you blow up. But if you've got word and spirit, you grow up. And I sense that what we really need is to make sure that we're leaning into the things of the spirit with the maturity of understanding what the word of God says. So we're anchored in this book because it really is an incredible book. And I believe that as we pursue those two things this year, God is going to move in spectacular ways. And it's not just something that happens as a church leadership. I really feel like that's something that's on our church and for our church. And so I'm excited. Now, as excited as I am, I'm going to read a scripture to you in just a moment. Full disclosure, it's a little heavy. It's all right. It's a very short one, but it's a little bit heavy, but it's a really important one. So I want to read to you out of Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. This is the prophet writing, but God speaking. He says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. Evidently, it is important for pastors to understand what God wants them to say. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Okay, horrible. Uh, We understand that is, yeah, tragic and all of those things. But it's a really important scripture that I think is so, you know, important for us to understand and embrace today. Now, I'll tell you this right now. God wanted us to understand who He was. He wanted us to know Him, so He gave us a Bible. He gave us a Bible. This is uh, the revelation of who God is as He has disclosed Himself to us. We can only know 
about him, what he chooses to reveal to us. And he chose to reveal many things to us. And we have it in this book called the Bible. So we have in this world things that we might consider to be general revelation of God. So, you know, you walk out and, you know, Paul says this in the book of Romans. uh, You can clearly see by the things that have been made. Look around at the earth. Look at the universe. You know, look at trees. Look at how an eyeball is formed and, and, and made. And there's something about creation that just points to the fact that we have a creator. We don't believe that this, that nothing created something and something developed and made this, you know? And so we don't believe that. We think that there is some general revelation that, come on, there really is a creator. But then we have this stuff called special revelation. The scriptures would be special revelation because I can't look at a tree and understand the gospel. You know, like what, what good would that be? Imagine Jesus dies 2,000 years ago and then no one wrote it down. And for the rest of eternity or until the world ends, you know, we're just thinking, does it get better than this? And so special revelation means what? God has purposely revealed specific and important things to us and they have written down. I, I can't read the Scriptures and understand that God loved me so much that He sent His Son to pay the penalty for my sins on the cross. And that if I ask Him into my heart and life, He will restore me and He will love me and I will live in eternity with Him forever. I I can't get that by looking at a tree. So, So we have what we call special revelation and we get to read that in this thing called the Bible. We use the word Bible, but you could probably interchangeably use the word Word. We use both at the same time. This is the Word of God. This is a Bible. That's the way that we speak about it. The Bible is the most sold book in history. There are over a hundred million copies of the Bible sold every single year. 50 copies are sold every single minute. This also happens to be the most stolen Bible or the most stolen book, I should say, in history. This is the most banned book in history. This is the most given book in history. This is the most translated book in history. If you look at the Old Testament, it's translated somewhere near near 700 times and the New Testament nearly 1,600 times into different languages for different tribes and nations to understand the contents of this book. It's so important that people have worked very hard to do it. I wonder if they would have done it had they realised that ChatGPT could do it in about 20 seconds. If you don't know what I just said, don't even worry about it. But I'm just saying there is technology out there now today that will not only write a speech for you should you need it, uh, but it will also translate, it probably can translate the Word of God. So I feel like there is some things that are really progressing. And this book has some of the most amazing information in it. So for example, 1500 BC, uh, it was written in the Scriptures that the earth is suspended in nothingness, which was amazing because I think it was around 1650 AD that scientists said, yep, that's true actually. And so sometimes they need to play catch up, but I'll advise you of this, that this book is not meant to be a book of science. It contains some things in there that we understand about culture and history. There is literature in here that is poetry. There is literature in here that is prophecy. There are all kinds of things, but it's not meant to be a a book of science. It is a book that has revealed who God is to us. And we only got that because He revealed Himself to us in a really special and unique way. 
This book is one of the most contested and argued about books on the planet. In fact, many of you would be aware of this. Last year, the Essendon uh, Football Club CEO, who had his job for about a day, uh, got fired because of his alignment with a church that happens to believe the contents of this book and speak about it. And because of his association with that church, they fired him because he was connected to what this book says found that to be really interesting. The pastor of that church went on an interview uh, with, on Channel 7 with Koshi and they interviewed him to ask him some questions uh, about his beliefs and so forth. And I remember there was this one statement that was made during that interview and Koshi said, come on, mate, it's a 2000 year old book. You're really gonna sort of listen to it. And I thought that is an oversimplification of the scriptures to the point of error. We're really going to talk about this and just try to sweep it under the rug of a 2,000-year-old book that is, you know, just etched in a culture and only relevant to that time back then. Do we really think that that's true? The, the Bible wasn't written 2,000 years ago. It was written over a period of about 1,500 years by uh, somewhere just over 40 authors. And the, the amount of unity that is found in this book, how 40 authors could write over 1,500 years and they found such incredible unity in this book is honestly astonishing to me. And of course, you get these people that don't understand anything about the Bible. They all seem to have YouTube channels, actually, but they... But they <laughs> Yeah. And then they say, I found a contradiction in the Bible. Well, of course, if you don't understand anything about the Bible, I'm sure you can find things that aren't in there. But when you talk to people that know what they're talking about, it is amazing how this book really stacks up. And so you, you read this thing and I think this is amazing. It is the progressive revelation of who God is that ended with the person of Jesus Christ, because He actually is the Word. And the reason, I say that for very good reason, I mean to tell you today that we don't need to continue to search for the character of God. It finds its fullness in Him. We, it, it, the Bible is complete. We don't require any more chapters. There's nothing new that needs to be added to this in the sense that God has disclosed who He is. Remember, Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We understand, you know, you've got to think back at the start of Genesis. They're, they're probably scratching their heads over a few things. God is slowly revealing Himself. And over time, they, they start to accumulate stories. Ah, yes, this is what He's like. This is what He does. But by the time we get to Jesus, we really understand so much about who God is. This, 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 oh wow, this book, if you get something out of this message today, I hope it's that you walk away. Even if you don't remember even one thing I say, if you could just have this overall deep, profound appreciation for the significance of what this book really is, uh, that I, I would be pretty happy with that. This book is, con contains a number of what we call prophetic words, prophecies, predictions about the future. In the Old Testament, you could take prophecy and you could divide it up into two categories. We have the messianic prophecies and then we have non-messianic prophecies. <laughs> yes, descriptive. And so there are 191 uh, prof prophecies, prophetic words about the Messiah coming. And what is astonishing is that for all the different authors and people that wrote different things about how it would be and what would happen, they found their fulfillment in the birth death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 
And why is that so amazing? Well, he couldn't possibly control all the variables unless he was outside of time and space at some point because he wouldn't be able to do anything about his burial and his resurrection. He couldn't make those parts up. And so 191 prophecies by different authors, come on, that's remarkable. And when I see stuff like that, it makes me appreciate how significant this really is. I didn't work out the odds of 191 prophecies coming true hundreds of years before they even happened and all in the lifetime of one person. But I reckon it's got to be pretty spectacular. The Scriptures have predicted the rise of global empires with incredible accuracy and detail. And I I look at that and I think they clearly point to an author that is outside of time and space. We understand that He can see the end from the beginning. I think when we think about time, we think linear. I think God can move in and out of time because He can be anywhere, always, everywhere, at once. I mean, it's just the most amazing thing. And so I I look at this and I think this book is absolutely incredible. It has shaped Western culture. It shaped a lot of cultures, but it has shaped even in our civilization, in, in, you know, where we live. It has shaped our culture. It has shaped our judicial system. There's no doubt about it. This is the most remarkable book on the planet. This isn't just a book. This is literally the book. This is, this is what it is. It's the book. And because some people own this book, they are killed for it. They are persecuted just for owning a copy and believing the contents of this book. Did you know that? People are persecuted all around the world. And I understand that even in our, in our culture, there would be times where people that have different lifestyles would have felt persecuted. But let me tell you, they're not being killed for what they believe in. But Christianity or Christians are the most persecuted people group on the planet. And sure, maybe in this nation, we don't see people being killed for what they believe in, just maybe, you know, martyred on social media. But there are countries all around the world where just for owning a copy of this, you would be killed for it. One of our partners at Bright Church is Open Doors. Open Doors support the persecuted church. They actually say that if they wanted to, they could end persecution by just getting everyone out of the country. Get, get the Christians out of Afghanistan. Get them out of different countries and nations. China, where they're persecuted for their faith. They could end persecution, but the people that live there and Open Doors themselves, they have no intention or desire of doing that because the work that they do to spread the gospel is so important to them that they stay right where they are. The point of Open Doors is to support the church as they go through persecution. So every year they come out with a list of 50 countries which are the most uh, dangerous countries for a person to live. At the top of that list right now is once again, North Korea. And I'll tell you, like, everyone wants to be number one. You want to win a race, but come on, like, this is a bad thing to win. Like, and they happen to win every single year. So over 400,000 Christians in North Korea. And if you are caught, like, at a church service or caught with a Bible, I've read many articles on it. Christians are killed on the spot. No questions asked. Doesn't even need to be investigated. Because why? (laughs) because the contents of this book are so dangerous to that community, maybe to communist community, that they are willing to kill people that even believe its contents. Isn't that fascinating? I don't think it really matters who you are. Every single person would have to admit in this room today, this is the most remarkable book on planet Earth. 
It is the book. And I think about how significant this book is. And one of the things I love about it is that in this country, we get to own one. Yeah, we're allowed to have one of these books. You can have a copy of it, you know, whenever you want. No one's going to come into your house, at least not this decade, and arrest you. Oh, we have some time to go, though. But so far, so good. No one's going to arrest you for having a copy of this book. You know what's, um, that's a good thing, guys. That's good. The, the sad reality is, for all the people that own the book, not a lot of people actually read the book. Barna, who are probably the foremost and greatest research, Christian research organization um, today, did a search, and uh, admittedly this was in the United States, but I think it speaks volumes to the culture in Australia. They're, they're, they're probably more faith-based in that nation than, than we are here, even in terms of church attendance and so forth. But then in the United States, they did a study of, I think it was somewhere between 18 and 19,000 practicing Christians. See, it's one thing when somebody speaks about our faith and they don't even believe in it. But when you say, no, this is my faith, I believe in it. Well, that speaks volumes. And they found that 53% of practicing Christians fall in the scale or fall in the categories of I never read all the way up to I read one to two times a year. Over half the practicing Christians that we have in the least in the United States, over half of them either never read it or to a maximum of one to two times a year. Houston, we have a problem. This, this is a major issue. We're, we're supposed to understand something about our faith. And I, I look at this and I think that is shocking. You know what that makes this? The most stolen and debated paperweight on planet Earth. Geez, we're selling 100 million a year of these books. 50 million of them are gathering dust. And I don't really know why people would want a copy and then never, ever read it. That part never makes sense to me. Maybe it's just the, 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 they feel more ah, spiritual by having a copy. Yeah, it feels good, actually. Maybe it's just, you know, you have it on your bookshelf and you feel a little more educated, maybe a little more informed. If you want to be super spiritual, you could just pop it on your bedside table next to your water at night just the aura of it, just, just the vibes of it flowing off your bedside table into your dreams as you sleep at night. You know, can you, can you, can you, no, you can't feel it. Or a lot of the power that, that is in this book comes from understanding the actual contents of this book. I, I know at the start of the year, people often like to start Bible reading plans. And I'd encourage you to do it. I remember reading a blog, and I did mention this on the first week of church that we had this year. But I remember reading a blog from a pastor who said, oh, he goes, oh, don't, don't, uh, don't start a Bible reading plan in 2023. Don't start it. You know, why don't you do something real with your faith and cook a meal and take it next door to your neighbour? I guess I understand his sentiments. He's trying to you know, say we should live out our faith. And I think, yeah, okay, I kind of see that. But also at the same time, mate, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Are you for real? You're actually going to tell Christians or half of them don't, don't read it. And you're going to tell the half that actually you're interested in reading it. No, you don't read it either. 
We're the most biblically literate generation. We have more access to scriptures than ever any other time. You can get it on an app. You can get it in a book. You can get it any old how. You know the rest. And yet for all the scriptures that we have and the, the many ways that we can access it, people don't read it. So this guy does this whole blog, don't start a Bible reading plan, just embody the gospel, right? Are you joking me? How are people supposed to understand the gospel and understand what it looks like to be a Christian if they don't actually read the thing? Guys, the world is filled with soup kitchens that are run by non-religious people that can serve meals to people. Awesome. What's the defining difference of the church? We have everlasting hope in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that we should read this to the exclusion of caring about our community or the exclusion of caring about our neighbours. I am saying if you read this, it might encourage you to do it. And then at least you got something to say when you hand over the soup. Do you get what I'm saying? Man, we gotta, we got to really read this thing and, and, and understand it. You know, a study of a thousand churches, a thousand churches. This is one of the most in-depth studies that's ever happened on the face of the planet about the church found that reflecting on the Scriptures, not just reading, but reflecting on the Scriptures is the fastest way to grow and mature you spiritually by a factor of two. Now, there's lots of things that we should do as Christians, guys. We should pray, we should fast, join us this week. There's lots of things that we should do as Christians. Sure, 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 sure. But when it comes to being a mature Christian and learning and growing and developing, reading this thing will help you more than anything else by a factor of two. Should you read the Bible? Is it really that important? Uh, yeah, yep. If you read the Bible, it will shape your soul. If you read the Bible, it will shape your soul. But here's the, here's the sticking point. You've got, you got to meditate on it. Meditate. You know, we talk about in church about meditation. I feel like someone is in here going, oh, that sounds a bit new agey to me, mate. Don't know about that. <laughs> nah. It's like, guys, guess what? The Buddhists, they didn't create meditation. They just seem to own it better than anyone else. You know what, in the, you read the Old Testament, there's like 32 times that it talks about meditating. And when it says meditate, it says meditate on His Word and meditate on His law. We just did a series called Summer in the Psalms. Do you know how the Psalms open? Chapter 1, verse 2, listen to this. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on His law he meditates day and night. Some of us, we're just maybe trying to get through our Bible reading plan in the morning, but this guy, David, he's meditating on it day and night. It's like, I think he's really making the point, I just think about God all the time. I think about the Word of God all the time. Just thinking about the impact that it has in my life. You know, it, you know I think we need to be like this as, as, as a church. There's a story in the book of Luke. Um, Jesus has two friends, Mary and Martha, you will be one of these two people probably, most likely. And Jesus is coming over to their house. So Martha, probably, you know, doing what is culturally, you know, expected of her. Here she is 
you know, cleaning up the house, making sure that everything's perfect. Jesus comes over, you better get him a meal. So here she is, she's in the cook kitchen and she's cooking and she's cleaning and she's doing stuff and she's busy. And, you know, here she is getting all worked up. She's thinking in her mind, right? Why am I the only one in here? Why am I the only one doing this? And she probably, you know, peeks around the corner and I just see her, she catches a glimpse of Mary doing nothing. Nothing. Lazy bones, Mary, there she is just sitting at the feet of Jesus. So she's working in there and I reckon, you know, the enemy would have been working double time, you know, look at your lazy sister, right? This is ridiculous. And where is Jesus on that, by the way? So much to the point that she comes out, she says to Jesus, are you going to deal with this? Like, she's not even helping me. And would it, remember what Jesus said? He said, she's chosen the good portion and it won't be taken from her. She's actually chosen the good portion. What is that to just sit at the feet of Jesus? Guys, our churches are filled with Marthas. I love a bit of activity in the church. I I, I love it. We have have events. We have things that you can go to and small groups and prayer meetings. And, you know, it, it could be a bit of a hive of activity, you know, running church. And we've got things happening all the time. And we've got people that are in the busyness of church life and doing things. And none of those things are wrong, guys. None of those things are wrong. But we have churches that are filled with people that are anxious about the activity. And it's not even the good portion. And Jesus is not saying, hey, it's not that you shouldn't do this stuff. But you know what? You've you got to make sure that you're anxious about the right things. Guys, we've got churches filled with anxious people. And all their anxiety is about the wrong stuff. You know, all their, for all the anxiety and activity and everything that we do, Jesus is saying, there's a better way, the way of Mary. I should know, I'm a reformed Martha. I Listen, I love to get stuff done. I had to go Martha's Anonymous, right? I saw some of you there. Like, you know, we, hey, we love to get stuff done. Who loves to get stuff done? Who, oh, come on, look, some of you are lying right now. All right, who loves to just work from a list and get it done? Yes, feels good, doesn't it? You know, I love it. And, and you know, to tick off those tasks and all the rest. You know, I, when, when I, uh, you know, took over this church with Sarah and we started pastoring this church, uh, we were in uh, this church that you, you could sit a lot of people and you'd go up the stairs. It was pretty cool in the middle of Ringwood and we had posters on the walls as you walked in that said, you know, this is the upcoming series and, you know, just that kind of stuff. And so I, 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 this is the church that we had. And then, you know, change promotes change, right? So you change the leader and everything shifts and changes and leaders changed. And, you know, the big change for us was we lost our building. Oh, what a killer. Definitely not what I signed up for anyway. I did let Jesus know about that. And so we had to move out of the, room, the, the church that we were in. We actually moved into uh, Yurunga Community Centre. You remember it, Jace? It's terrible, wasn't it? Yep, you agree with that, Cam? Aaron? Yep, they're all nodding because they were there. We all know it was terrible. It was horrible, right? And we just didn't uh, enjoy it. So, so I, I want to paint the picture for you. It was like sticky floors, a straw-thatched roof. It was tiny it was in the middle of suburbia. The car parks were terrible. The heating was terrible. It didn't really exist is what I mean. It was freezing cold in the winter. 
in summer, it was boiling hot. We were giving out zoopadoopers in churches to keep people around. <laughs> they were really happy about that. And then, and then, right, on the side wall, there was pictures. I'm not even making this stuff up, guys. On the side wall, they had their own posters. So, so come from the church that we're at, we've got posters, this week's series, and this is what's coming up, and it's all exciting. To Yurunga Community Centre, where they had posters, honestly, of old people's faces that were looking really depressed straight into the, it was a massive photo. And it said at the top, do you suffer from dementia? You know, that's what it said. Guys, I'm trying to preach faith and I'm like. <sighs> and I'm not. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I wanted a bit of dementia, but I was happy to forget that whole season. I didn't want to remember any of it because the whole thing was, was, was horrible. And so me, what did I want to do? I wanted some kind of uh, continuity. And so I have a little bit of a, you know, graphics background. And so I started making posters and things that we could use to cover up the other ones. I was like, so at least we had something, you know? And I reckon if I made a mistake, that was, that was probably it. Is that for me, I was actually giving myself to the wrong tasks. I was, to be honest, I was anxious about the wrong things. And if I could have my time back, I probably wouldn't have even worried about it. I would have just told everyone, don't look at it. And instead, I would have been spending my time, like Mary, at the feet of Jesus. And it's not like I didn't. But if I had my time over, I would have doubled that and got rid of the other stuff. Because that's the good portion. That's the stuff that we really need to sit at the feet of Jesus and have Him speak to us. And, and, and that's the thing that really changes us. You know, everyone loves being productive. I do love the dopamine hit that comes with ticking off my task, task list and getting stuff done. I like to get stuff done, but I'll tell you this, right? You can do it at the gym. You can do it at home. Just don't do it with God. Don't do it with God. I don't know how many of you, if you're married, have you designated who does work in the garden? Because we have, but I just wanted to know if anybody else has. Have you designated who does that? <laughs> when we did our marriage survey questionnaire, right, the, the, our, our pastors came and spoke to us and said, there's one area we have of, real, of great concern for your marriage. We said, what is it? And they said, well, Sarah said she doesn't want to work outside the home. And you said you're happy for her to work outside the home. And I'm like, yeah, of course I'm happy for her to work outside the home. And Sarah's, and we're like, like, you know, she's studied, she's gone to uni. I'm happy for her to do it. And, and Sarah suddenly realizes in that moment, she goes, is that what that question meant? <laughs> I thought it was asking who was going to do the gardening. And I was like, I am not doing it. That is your domain. We're coming up to 17 years and she still doesn't know where the mower is. Like I do the work in the garden. So I don't know, maybe you've designated who does the work in the garden. Um, so this, this, this illustration may only apply to some people that know what it's like to do work in the garden. But anyway, I think you'll get it. You get the whippersnip around and you go around the edges. And it's important to start with that because then when you mow it, it'll catch all the stuff that's been chopped. Don't do it in the reverse order, otherwise you end up with long bits over your freshly cut lawn. It's a little tip for you, you're welcome. So anyway, so anyway, you, you use the whippersnipper, you go around the edge, right? And then you get to work and you get the mower 
and you're working and you're mowing that thing, right? And, and you know what I love about mowing? It's the same thing about vacuuming. I'm quite domesticated, as you can tell. And, and so it's, it's like instant satisfaction. You do a strip and you're like, yeah. So then you go back the other way and you, 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 you've mowed the lawn and it's, and, it, and it's looking good, right? What am I doing right now? This is the work in the garden. I'm working in the garden, right? And, and then right, when, we, when we're working and we're getting it done and you know, one line, next line, next line, right? Sometimes that's what it's like for some people reading the Bible, yeah? So you've got your, your, your plan that you're reading. Maybe you tick it off in an app. And what do you do? You just plow through it. You're plowing through the Scriptures because you, you said at the start of the year, yeah, I, I reckon I could read the Bible in a year. And you suddenly realise how many chapters that was every single day. Day three, you thought, what was I thinking? I can't even do this for two days, right? So, so, so but you, you, you start. And then in order to keep up with the chapters, because they keep rolling in, right? In order to keep up with it, you plow through that chapter. Yep, done. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, bang. A little bit of Psalms, Proverbs, and a bit of the New Testament. Five chapters, nailed it. I'm fantastic, right? And then you get to the end and you did it in 15 minutes because you're an amazing reader and you think like you're on top of it, right? That's like doing the, the, the mowing, right? That's the work. But if you've ever mowed the lawn, and I reckon everyone does this, but I am projecting. After you mow it, do you ever just look at it and go, awesome. <laughs> it's just like to behold it in all its glory. Like, it's not just me, is it? Do you ever just stand back and look at it and go, I've done it. Michael, I used to live next door to you. I caught you doing this. That's not true. <laughs> uh, I made that up. You probably did, right? Okay, he does. You do. You look at your work and you're like, this is beautiful. All right, well, that's, that's like meditation. That's, that's like the meditation. So you have the work of plowing through the Scriptures, get it done, get it done, get it done. But when you stop and reflect on what has been done, that's like meditating. And it's that thing right there that changes the shape of your soul. It's not just plowing through it. It's not just getting through it and say, I nailed five chapters. I wonder how many people, come on, how many of you get to the bottom of the page and you have no idea what just happened because you were actually thinking, what's for dinner tonight? <laughs> Nobody's putting hands up, but I know, right? I see one hand. That's the thing. Because you know what? You get to the end, you're like, oh, I didn't even take it in. And you go back and you go, I've got to do this again. You go back to the start. It's amazing how many people can just read on autopilot but not take anything in. Like, can I, can I be transparent today? because I will be anyway, but I started a Bible reading plan at the start of this year and I am off the rails right now. Like I am so far from where I should be. I seriously am. Like it's, it's terrible in the sense that I have not nailed those five chapters. I've never even got it, made it through one day and read all the content that I'm supposed to read. And I'll, I'll be honest as to why. I start to read and I'll get maybe a, I don't know, maybe a couple verses in and something will catch me. And I go, oh, that's interesting. I'm like, what does that mean? And then I start to think, am I, am I doing this in my life? God, are you saying something to me? This has just caught my interest. And then because of you know, how I'm wired, I go get a commentary. And then I sit down and I read a commentary. You've got to understand, commentaries work like this. 
The scripture is this big. The commentary? <laughs> right. And so I'll, I'll read a commentary on that. And I'm thinking about, oh, that is deep. right? And then I go, I don't want to lose this bit of revelation. So I actually get out my journal on my iPad and I start writing it up. And I think about it and I go, God, I need to put this into my life. You can see how hard it is to get through the Bible. Get through the Bible. Listen, there's, there is a space for reading like that. There is. Because you can get a, over a, a holistic view of the Scriptures. The reality is, if you read the New Testament, those letters are designed to be read in one sitting, right? That's how they're meant to be read. So, so yeah, absolutely, you, you, you need to read like that. But guys, it's the meditation. That's the stuff that shapes your soul. And if you read this, it starts to change how you think. Guys, this, this isn't just a book, everyone. This is the book. And when you read it, it's not a static experience. It's a dynamic experience. When you read this, you read, and the Scriptures even say that we read under the illumination of the Holy Spirit. So you get people that don't understand anything about the Bible on their YouTube account saying, I don't understand it. It's like, yeah, you don't even believe it, right? But Christian people have the Spirit of God revealing to them things that are in this. And this is, it's a dynamic experience. You're supposed to read it. How, how are we really supposed to read this thing? Well, I know over, over time and, and history, plenty of people have thought, all right, it's time to read the Bible. Yep, I've decided to follow Jesus, so let's go. God, speak to me. And, and if you've ever done this as a new Christian, and it says, and Jesus, uh, sorry, and Judas hung himself on the tree and uh, his bowels gushed out and it is still being called the field of blood to this day. And you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> Don't look for an application, guys. It's not in there, you know? I, I'm saying, think about what you're reading, right? So I reckon you start with the Gospel of John because it's a narrative of Jesus' life. So it's great to start in the New Testament. A lot of people want to start in the Old Testament. They've never read the thing, and that's fine. But it does get a little bit tricky to understand. While we're on the subject of understanding it, um, you should get yourself a really great translation. So, so I might lose some of you here, but I'll say it anyway. Because there are good translations, and then there are translations that are not actually that good. Okay? And so when we read the Scriptures, what do we believe? Well, I believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Scriptures, which means what? It means that they are inerrant in their original language. The problem is we start to develop translations that are further and further and further away from what the thing actually said. So we're trying to understand it, but we've got a translation that doesn't do a very good job of it. One of them is probably the passion. Some of you are like, oh, I hate this message. You know, like, yeah, you know, like it's, it's guys, it's, 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 it's okay. It's, it's not that great. I, I was reading the message the other day and, and I was putting it against my Bible. And I was like, there is some crazy stuff like that. This is a crazy translation. I, I get why we do it, especially in this nation, especially in our culture. You know why we do that kind of a thing? Because we're bridging the discipleship gap. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the reason that we do that is because we go, hey, here's a Bible that you'll be able to understand on your own. That's not the way that we're supposed to do it. We, we actually are trying to make it, we, are, we, are, we try to lower the bar in terms of understanding so that someone can do it in isolation. Guys, that's just covering up our discipleship problems, okay? Because you know what we're really supposed to do? Give them a version that's a really good one and then say, I'll read it with you. But because we live in such an isolated you know, westernized culture where we've got our own lives and it is how it is. I'm telling you, like the church is not meant to operate like that. 
We, we have a different culture in church. We say, join a small group. We say, come together and gather as God's community. We do this as community and we do it as community. We can disciple people. So if someone's new and they don't understand what it means, at least someone's next to them that says, let me explain it to you. And if they don't understand it, no big deal. Find someone else that understands it, right? And you just, you, you, you keep doing it. You've got to get yourself into the right kind of relationships. It's important. I just think it's important that what we do is read what this thing actually says. I follow this guy on social media and he's a commentator of church and culture, Christian theology and so forth. And he was, uh, in, in this show that he did, he was talking about some research that he came across where someone that he, he had come across had done deep research on the church, the numbers of church. Is it growing? Is it declining? How's church going and growing? Right. And in the mainline Protestant denominations, they are all declining. I think even, okay, so this was from America, but guys, did you see the last census? Yeah, same, same thing here, right? So, so they're all the mainline Protestant denominations are declining. There are a few that are growing. And they took all the information and all the research and they said, what's the difference between the ones that are declining and the ones that are growing? And the ones that are declining are the ones that are becoming increasingly liberal and trying to get further away from what this thing says. Isn't that, isn't that ironic? In an effort to get the culture, they lose the culture. And what's the defining factor? They're moving away from the Word of God. He's not going to endorse something that's pulling people in another direction. But the more conservatives that say, we believe this is what it is, it says what it says, like those people, those churches, they're the ones that are growing. Fascinating. So this this book, we call it the Bible, but it's actually in the Greek, um, it actually means you know, collection of books. So this is not a book, this is 66 books that are put together, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, together 66 books. And we take those books and we put a circle around it. And they did something, what the early church fathers did the hard work of putting together what was the Scriptures. Thank God, so we don't have to figure it out. They, they said, this is the inspired Word of God. When they did that, uh, we call it what's canon. They had to try to create a filter for what made it in and what made it out. I could probably do a whole message on that, but I want you to come back next week. So what we're going to do is I'll give you five things that they did. A filter. It's like one sentence, but there are five parts to this one sentence where they, just, they, they helped use this, among some other things, to really decide whether it was the Scriptures that was inspired by God. Here's what it is. They asked, was it a book that was written by a spokesperson for God? Who was confirmed by an act of God? Three, who told the truth? Four, in the power of God? And five, was accepted by the people of God? And they would look through the Scriptures and if they didn't meet, there was all kinds of criteria, but if they didn't even meet that criteria, they said, well, it's not in. You know, I think that there would be a lot of people today that would say that the church decided what was canon. That'd be looking at it the wrong way. 
We just discovered what was canon. They are two very different ideas. We didn't decide, we discovered. And I look at this and I think, you know what? The Holy Spirit spoke throughout time and history, you know, speaking to Abraham and others, but it didn't get penned down, of course, until it got to Moses and he started writing it out. And so the Spirit of God is speaking to people. And, you know, for 1500 years, there is a little gap in the middle there, 400 silent years. In, 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 that, in those 400 silent years before Christ came, those books are called the Apocrypha. We don't have them in our Bible because we don't believe it's the inspired Word of God. But there's some interesting things in there. But over this period of, say, like 1,500 years, the, the Scriptures were written. The Holy Spirit inspired people. And I, I think about that and think, I don't, I don't believe that by the time we got to this, that He had a lapse in judgment and thought, oh, look, I won't oversee that process. Sure, for 1,500 years I've inspired people. But when it comes to putting it all together for future generations, nah, forget it. Uh, I'll just leave it up to them. You got, you, I, I mean, at some point you have to understand that the Holy Spirit, He began this work and He completed this work. Can I read what the Scriptures say about the Scriptures? David said, The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. Peter said, speaking of the Old Testament, Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There he is again. The Apostle Paul said, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then perhaps this, is, this next one is maybe the most important one. Jesus said, and you can read this in Matthew 4, 4, that the Word that comes out of the, the, the Scriptures are the Word that comes out of the mouth of God. And I look at all of that and I think, come on. This book and the contents of it, what he said then is, is what we need now. We live in an age and an era where people are trying to, you know, look at this book and, and bring it forwards into contemporary culture by saying outrageous things, by saying things like, well, that's what the Christianity meant to those people in that time. But, you know, today, for today's contemporary culture, we have to reinterpret, you know, this revisionist theology where we look at this and we reinterpret, what, is, what does this mean for us in our world at this time? Are you kidding me? God exists out time, outside of time and space. Can we at least give Him the credibility that He had the foresight to know that what He wrote then would still apply now? Like, like do we think that our culture caught God off guard and He suddenly realised, oh, this is no longer applicable? No, what does the Scripture say? That in Him there's no shadow, there's no variation. Guys, He's not changing. What is changing is culture. And there is an increasing gap, which is why we as His people need to know what this says more than at any other point in history. And it's so sad and ironic at the same time that as much access as we got to the Scriptures, people are becoming increasingly biblically illiterate. They're living vicariously through the messages that they see on YouTube and that hot and that hot preacher and that hot word. Guys, forget about a hot word. Just get into the word. Because if you want to shape your soul, sorry, that guy's not going to do it and that guy's not going to do it. This guy's going to do it. He's going to do it when you start to read it. It moves you, it shifts you, it shapes you, it fills you with faith. You've got something to give away when you understand what's in this. And we guys, we get all of that in this book. Like, for free. 
When I say for free, I mean, if you don't have one, we'll give you one. This is the most given away book in the world. We'll do the same. And all you got to do to have everything I just spoke about is just read the thing and stop and meditate and ask God to speak to you. And if you do, He will. He will. He will. You believe it? Can you stand to your feet? Can I pray for you? I want to pray for people that want to get close to God this year. Maybe that's, that is a goal. Don't let anyone talk you out of that. Start that Bible reading plan. Better to do it and try it and start it and get something than never try it and have nothing. But if you're here today and you say, I want to get so close to you, God, I want to know you like, the, like what's written in Scripture. I want, to, I want to know you. I want my Bible reading to be a dynamic experience. Then I want to pray for you right now. Father God, I think of every person that's in this room. I believe that we're here because we love you, God, and we want to hear from you. Now, I pray that for every person whose heart's desire right now in this room is to get closer to you, I pray in Jesus' name that as they start to read, may your word leap off the page and into their hearts. Lord, we understand that there is a time to get through the work of reading, but I pray that for each one of us that we would not just do the work of reading, but we'd stop, we'd pause, we'd reflect. We'd meditate. And as we meditate on your word, I pray it shapes our hearts. I pray it changes our lives. If this book and the contents of it can change civilization, it can change your family. It can change your family. I feel like that is really for a few people in this room right now. I didn't say it in the first service because I just reckon there are families here that when you look at your culture and you look at what's happening in your life, you just recognize that, that there needs to be some change. This book changed cultures and civilizations. It will change your family. I pray, Father, I pray for a different culture in families. Lord, let us have a, a culture, not where we have isolated Bible reading plans and purposes, God, but where discipleship takes and arrests our heart. Pray, God, that no one would be better at doing community than us. And as we read together and grow together and pray together, I pray every single one of us be getting closer to you in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.